Podcast with me, Phil. And me, Paul. And on this week's show, we're going to be reviewing episode four of series nine of Doctor Who Before the Flood. Uh, but first, as usual, let's have some news. Now, there's uh, well, a, a bit more than, than normal, but unfortunately, we have to sort of start with, with some sad news. Uh, we have to um, tell you that uh, Derek Ware, who was um, actor more commonly known as a stunt arranger, on Doctor Who has died at the age of 77. Now, I think those of you that are from the classic series will know that uh, that Derek Ware um, formed Havoc, Action by Havoc, probably well, you know, well known throughout the uh, the Pertwee era, well up until um, season nine, the old season nine in old money, I yes. should say. Um, oh, the decimalisation. Yes, indeed, indeed. Um, I mean, before Havoc, he did a lot of stunt work on, on Doctor Who. I mean, going back as, as far as the very first story. Where he doubled um, for Jeremy Young in the uh, the fight between Carl and Czar. So apparently that was Doctor Who's very first fight scene as well. Yes. Yes. So, um, but he, he did also he did a bit of acting bits as well, didn't he? I, I think probably most um, most famously he was uh, Pigbin Josh in the Claws of Axos. Yes. What challenging dialogue he had in that one. Um, yeah, I mean, he was. Um, I think the guy was a legend in, in Doctor Who. But I mean, what makes him a legend for me? He also worked on the Italian Job, amongst amongst other things. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's. it's um, I mean, seventy seven's no age either, is it? I, mean, I don't know what. Um, what obviously what he what he died of, but um, yeah, that's a shame. That's a shame, really. It is. It's yeah. It's, a, it's another one gone, really. Another one gone. Yeah, I know. I know. He just sort of. Um, it's just sort of, well, as I say, you know, we always think like, you know, it's sort of, um, you expect it some sort of like the, like the Troughton and the, and the, uh, the Hartnell eras, but you don't expect quite so much from the Pertwee era just, just yet, do you? Uh, yeah, it's, it's still, it's, it's catching up now, isn't it? Years now, yeah. It is now, yeah, exactly. It doesn't, you know, when you think about it, it is a bloody long time ago, but I think because we are <laughs> very ch- ch- childish middle-aged men I think you don't realise how old we are sometimes but uh, yeah yeah so no very sad very sad indeed but uh, he did some sterling work for um, for Doctor Who and um, and other things like Zed Cars and Cold Its and you know um, and Last of the Summer Wine as well so <laughs> and many times he had, to, he had to play sort of uh, was it Compo going down a hill in a bathtub <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'd have thought that's probably one of the few stunts you had to do in that. <laughs> so you hadn't, you hadn't been picked to do that. You weren't, you weren't trusted, were you? So no. <laughs> oh dear, that's that's very sad, very sad. Now um, on to some um, other news. Now, what we uh, I think was was it last week we took we spoke about the the episode three of Web of Fear that was um, found and went missing. Didn't it that Philip Morris um, reported that? Was it last week or the week before? I can't remember. Uh, I think it was last week. Is it last I week? Don't know. Actually, no. It might have been the week before. Actually, no. Oh, oh well. Okay. Well, it just there's a slight little update um, uh, to that item of news. Is that um, a photograph has been released of all of the canisters of film that were found? Um, based, I don't know if it's like a record just to prove they existed. Um, but obviously, just before they, you know, episode three got pinched and was. Was disappeared around the world somewhere. 
Um, I've just got this image now. That's that sellotape to lampposts in Nigeria. That picture saying <laughs> lost. Have you seen? <laughs> or above a picture of a cat or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, to be quite honest, I, mean, I haven't zoomed in on the um, on on the photograph itself. I, mean, I must admit, it, it could be anything, really, couldn't it? <laughs> I have to take Philip Morris's word. They, they all say "web of fear" underneath that, or "enemy of the world," or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I think just put this just to sort of like shut the naysayers up. Yeah, a little bit, but um, yeah, it was just, just a little update to what um, um, to what happened the other week. Now, talking of the Web of Fear and Enemy of the Worlds, uh, Phantom Films um, have announced a special project. They're going to be providing commentaries for Enemy of the World and Web of Fear, and um, basically they will be moderated by Toby Haydoke. And they're going to be released on both CD and download formats. Now, I understand the CD versions are going around for around about a tenner each or something. Yeah. So I understand. But the Enemy of the World um, commentary uh, will have Mary Peach, Milton Johns, Carmen Monroe and Bill Lyons. And Weber Phil will have Ralph Watson, John Levine and Derek Martin. And production reminiscences are provided by Sylvia James and Roger Bunce. So, I mean, this is... This is actually quite good because obviously it was they were vanilla re- releases, weren't they? And I think I think yeah, you know, it's, it's still just can't quite get around why they couldn't have. I know, got them. I know it, it does seem to me they were just sort of released just for the fiftieth. Yeah, it's like they didn't have time to do anything else. Yeah, I mean, but you know. I don't know how long it would have taken to have. I don't know. Maybe that maybe the, su- the surviving actors and production team weren't available in the time. Don't know. But it, but it could have been something that they could have done, and then they could have provided it as a download commentary later on well, to the yeah. iTunes stuff to people who'd bought the it the actual the series off of iTunes. They could have then provided it then for some, as something extra to that, and then they could have put it on the DVDs. Well, I think you're right. I mean, they could have done like a special edition later on, couldn't they? Um, but it, it it does seem the BBC have missed a trick here. Uh, it's not even yeah, not even not even to do a special edition. It's just a bit you know hmm. as to why they couldn't have done it. I mean, I can I can I can understand the point. They wanted to get the the download on iTunes. They wanted to announce it and then it be available. Yeah, yeah, and that's fine. But there's no reason why they couldn't have have done the commentaries even to follow, hmm. but then were on the DVD releases when they came out. And then for the people who bought it off of iTunes, it came as a free download. There. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I can't understand. It. I still get the, the feeling that the BBC still think that nobody is interested in old Doctor Who. Do you still get that feeling? They're just sort of like, oh, well, it's old, to, no, no one's interested in it. And, you know, it seems to be that, that way with the Underwater Menace as well. I think it just seems that they don't seem to yeah. realise there is, there is an audience for this stuff and people are quite, you know... You know, we're clambering for it. Maybe it's very I, niche. I almost Maybe, you know, sort I of know. suspect that they did. That in their mind was, oh, well, we'll release it on iTunes, and then we're then we do do it, do the extra stuff for the DVD. Mm. And then they thought, God, people are buying this without us having to do the extra stuff. So keep quiet, walk away. <laughs> <laughs> there could be Just something in the money that. Roll in. There could be something in there. I think you might be right. I think you might be right. Yeah. They've got a very funny attitude towards um, the, the, the classic era of Doctor Who, if you want, if you want to call it that. They really yeah. have the BBC, um, considering how much they're sort of well, 
we, we imagine they're behind the new series. Um, obviously, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes and what's really said amongst the uh, the upper echelons of the BBC. But, um, yeah, you sort of think that, yes, they're behind it. You would have thought they'd done anything to... This is extra promotion for the show. Yeah. You know, so introducing new fans to the to the old stuff. That's what people do, isn't it? They delve into the back catalogue. So, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, I honestly do think that in some ways we're, we're victims of our own will- willingness to buy this stuff. I think we might be. In that, it just was a case of, hang on a minute, they're going to buy it without us doing anything. Yeah, yeah, you could be right. You could absolutely be spot on there. But, uh, but anyway, I, I, think I should, probably, um, should probably buy these, to be honest, um, because I... I It'd just be nice just to have some, you know, some extra content to go with the DVDs, really. Yeah, it's just a bit of history, isn't it? Yeah, really? exactly. To it. Exactly. Um, but I must admit, I don't listen. To, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't listen uh, to the to the commentaries that much. Actually, I don't tend to delve into them. I tend to want to watch um, watch the stories themselves. But I think just to me, it's just nice just knowing that they're there. If I do want to dip into it, they're there. And it's yeah, just, I, you know, it's just the incidental stuff you get from them is quite sometimes yeah, I mean, quite I, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I always delve into all the, the, the you know the documentaries and the other extra um, extra yeah. content. I just never really delved into the commentaries, to be honest. I really must must do that. I've only but I listened to a couple of them, um, but they have been entertaining ones I've listened to. Um, but yeah, I really should make more of an effort. I think so. I think uh, yes. This this should this should be the start of things for me. I think. Yeah, no, and it's always worth the particularly the Peter Davison ones are usually tend to be worth. Yeah, well, I must admit I did listen to the one for Warriors of the Deep when we were uh, um, doing the commentary for it. Yeah, our own commentary, and uh, yeah, it was enter- very entertaining, very entertaining. So, anyway, um, moving on. Now, there's another very very short. Uh, news item here is that basically it's on the future of K9. Now, um, as you know, K9 um, had its own series back in 2009, which was made by, or was it an Australian um, company, wasn't it? Yes. A feature Australian actors trying to act British. I'm never British, I've never seen it, um, but I think the updated version of K9 certainly met with derision from me anyway. So I think they just made him into Poochie. If, if you know your Simpsons, you realise what I'm talking about here. Um, and I think there was supposed to have been a second series, which never really materialised. Right. Um, now, it says here that there's going to be an announcement on the future of K9, made by um, series producer Paul Tams and K9 co-creator Bob Baker at the Doctor Appreciation Society convention Back to the 80s, which takes place the 24th of October. So I have to keep... Yeah, well, so we'll keep an eye on that one. Um, not from the point of view I think I'm, I'm particularly interested. I just want to know what's going to happen, whether it's going to return back to the BBC again. Who knows? Mm. Or they are going to do that, like Alan Partridge, am I going to get my second series? Yeah. Yeah. Don't know. Don't know, actually. But I don't, K-9, don't... you fostering. Yeah. <laughs> Monkey tennis with K-9. K-9. <laughs> <laughs> Robot dog tennis. That's it. Uh, was it <laughs> canine amongst the pigeons? Wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Just made smell by cheese. <laughs> oh, dude! If you know Alan Partridge, you know what I'm talking about there. Um, anyway, um, moving very very swiftly on. I, the, I did sort of look oh, at sorry, the, yes. the sorry the Back to the 80s convention thing, which obviously the 
the star going into that is is Colin Baker. Yeah. And he's billed then as voted the best audio doctor. And I thought to myself, oh, you might be happy with that. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> not, not this voting of doctors. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's... Um, and also, you've got Jason Connery is going to be there. Louis um, Pajo from Seas of Death. Um, Philip Martin. Um, that's, that's a tenuous link to back to the 80s, isn't it? It is, really. Philip Martin wrote Vegetable <laughs> Barrels. In, that's when it came out on video. <laughs> um, Andrew Smith, who wrote Full Circle, obviously. And, um, yeah, so... It's only taken a few 80s Doctor Who. Well, I would do, really, because it's a Doctor Who Appreciation Society convention. But, um, yeah. Yeah. But there you go. There you go. That, that's that's the lineup. anyway. That's the lineup. Um, so if we, get, if we do hear anything from that, we'll um, obviously d- d- you know, discuss we'll it. We'll see if we're interested. See if we're interested, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, I very doubt if it's going to be earth-shattering, but there you are. Now, um, voting has opened for the 2016 National Television Awards. Uh, which takes place next January, and uh, Doctor Who is in the drama category this year, but it's up against 19 other candidates. Everybody's in the drama category this year. I think it is, isn't it? Um, What have we got here? we got, um, was it DCI Banks, Casualty, The Fall, Death in Paradise, Vera, Last Tango in Paris, Suspects, Downton Abbey, Lewis, This Is England, 90, Inspector George Gently, Broadchurch, New Tricks, Silent Witness, Call the Midwife, Doc Martin, Mr. Selfridge, Miss Simon Murders, and The Syndicate. Oh, God. Yeah, that's quite a, quite a few there. And uh, Peter Capaldi um, is in the drama performance category, and he's up against David Tennant and Chris Freckleston, who've also yeah. been nominated. And... Um, and it's com- there's 58 nominations. In yes. Well, 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 this is now a combined category um, because it also, uh, Jenna Coleman is also in this category as well. Yeah. So, which is a bit, um, a bit, that's going to sort of broaden the horizons of the competition somewhat. I like, I like one, one that come there is Dennis Waterman as Jerry Standing, New Tricks. See, he's only in the first episode. First episode, exactly. <laughs> this year, well, it seems a bit stretching that then, doesn't it? Just a bit, just a bit. I mean, and how how would that be a kicking the teeth to Larry Lair if he doesn't win it? If he won it rather than him, <laughs> he was in the other nine episodes. <laughs> oh God, yeah, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Oh well, whatever, whatever. So if you, if, I don't know if it's um, you can vote for it if you want to on the National T- uh, Television Awards website. So yeah, f- fill your boots. I'm going to say. Um, now, the bit that everyone looks forward to—that's oh, a lie, really. Everybody hates, don't they? The, the stats—it's a stats time, isn't it? Oh God, you can hear the, the resignation in our voices. <laughs> uh, the overnight viewing figures for Before the Flood were 4.38 million viewers, which is an improvement on, on the on previous weeks, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and that had uh, that meant it had a twenty one point five percent audience share, so which is up of last week's show sixteen percent. Yes, so, it actually beat the rugby, didn't it? Because England were already England out. Already so. out, indeed. Yes, um, only three point five one million tuned in to watch England play Uruguay. Yeah, so uh, top for the day was Strictly Come Dancing eight point nine one million, uh, while ITV's highest, highest audience was for the rugby. There you go. Um, but it was the Australia Wales. Yes, which had four point seven five. Yeah. Yes. So um, yeah, there you go. So Doctor was fourth place for the day and was, was currently thirty third for the week. 
Yeah. It, okay. It's finally lost out to casualty. So the only doctors that would be low it before. Yes. <laughs> well, managed to edge ahead. Managed to edge day. ahead at last. Didn't they? It was the combined doctors of casualty managed to push it up. Now, before the flood, AI, um, it was 83 this week. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's still good. It's still good. You know, it's. Um, I think now. now <laughs> I think what I'm missing though is is the little the little comments about the eye. What the audience really thought. Thought. Yeah, yeah I'm missing nothing these. There is there. There's nothing at all. Absolutely nothing at all. Uh, or their age groups either. No. No, I'm, I'm particularly looking forward to that if they actually uh, start again. Yeah. Yeah, I do hope so. I do hope so. Uh, now, under the lake, uh, the official ratings. Uh, it finished with uh, an official rating of 5.63 million viewers. Uh, which made that program the 22nd most watched program uh, for the week on all UK television, and it was also the 10th most watched program on BBC. Um, it looks like the Great British Bake Off, uh, which had its final uh, last last Wednesday, um, had a massive 12.65 million people watching. Yeah, yeah. So that's not surprising. It's been mm, one of those. Yeah, things, exactly. And uh, I'm not going to say that Nadia. She was a well-deserved winner. Are you a fan of Bake Off, Paul? Um, no, not really. Oh, that was. I say she aced it. She aced it in every round. She she was a, a well deserved winner. She just makes really me feel hungry. I know that's the problem. I get particularly hungry when, when they do the bread making week. Mm. <laughs> There's these lovely different breads and rolls and oh, oh, lovely. <laughs> if we're going to be slightly worried about these figures, it's the fact that Doctor Who has now dropped below Country File. Oh God. Oh dear. Sitting behind, sitting between Country File and the Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> I think it's going to have to start looking over its shoulder for songs of praise. praise. Oh <laughs> God! Oh God! Well, obviously this doesn't include the iPlayer figures, which oh. I've got no links to whatsoever. I must, I must admit, I haven't looked too hard for them. Um, we don't want to drag this section out any longer than necessary. To... Oh. <laughs> Actually, should we just finish that section here? Yes. Let's do it. Let's so. end it. I think we said all we're going to say about that because it is time to whiz over to Omega's Tack Corner. You pester me with trinkets! Now, we have three items of tats for you this week. Now, I was, I was really debating whether this should go into Tack Corner, but I, I, I suppose it should do. <laughs> I, I, I was wondering whether you, where, where you was going to try and put this. Yeah, so it should go into Tat. It's Tat to it some is. people, it isn't is. it? You know, it, it really is. is. It yes. Is. Um, I suspect if you'd have been doing, if this had been one of the news items you have to do on your own, this may well have got past the tap barrier and into the. This would have been top top of the news list, actually, Paul. This was the big exclusive news for the week. Actually, is that the BBC revealed details that the new Doctor Who Lego set is due to be released on the first of December this year, and it looks utterly fantastic. It really it's does. out your Christmas for you. Oh, lovely. yes, it certainly has. It features an opening TARDIS, detachable interior console room, exclusive graphic uh, details and steps. Fans can regenerate the Doctor and defeat the evil Daleks and Weeping Angels with the help of his extraordinary companion, Clara. And once the doors of the TARDIS are closed, prepare to launch into dimensions of light years away from Gallifrey. Ah, oh, dear. And the set includes, it's going, it retails for £49.99 pence. It includes four minifigures, the Lemp Doctor, the Twelfth Doctor, Clara, a Weeping Angel, plus two Daleks, and uh, assorted um, accessories such as the Sonic Screwdriver. So, and look at the photographs here. It does look rather good. And there's 623 pieces in there as well. That'll keep me busy. 
<laughs> He's going to tell me how many minutes there are to you buy it. <laughs> <laughs> the trouble is, my, my, my two kids will probably couldn't wait to get their hands on extra little Lego bricks and stuff, and I can see this being smashed up, lost, stuck up noses, and, and, and God knows what. So I think this, there are adoption agencies. You do realize. I think this, this is going to be officially classed as daddy's toys, <laughs> <laughs> along with the wine and the whiskey. It, indeed, yes. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be hell to pay if they touch my Lego Doctor Who Lego whiskey, <laughs> <laughs> beer, and the wine. Don't forget wine <laughs> yeah. and brandy. <laughs> Uh, the gin. <laughs> Anything that gets you through the evening. Really. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yes, I'm very, very much looking forward uh, to, to that. Now, um, next up in Omega's Tack Corner. Now, for those of you who've already got all of the um, the Doctor Who Christmas specials since the series was revived in 2005, um, well, guess what? You can buy them all over again. Uh, there's going to be, from the BBC shop, there's the 10 Doctor Who Christmas specials. are going to be releasing a limited edition box set on Blu-ray, uh, retailing at a pre-order price of £30.25. Now, I've got to be honest, for 10 Blu-rays, that's not bad. It's, yeah, it's, it's not if they wasn't included in every other box set. I know, exactly. If it was an I mean, exclusive... I mean, I mean, obviously, you can't have enough copies of The Doctor, The Widow and The Wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, as, as you are quickly finding out, Phil, aren't you? Well, I am, yes. Or, or enough uh, copies of The End of Time Parts 1 and 2. Or Voyage of the Damned. Oh, God. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Yes. Um, now, it, it's, uh, it's, it's a special limited edition box set uh, which features uh, five uh, graphically illustrated... Christmas cards, exclusive bonus fe- feature, not features, feature, and an accompanying bu- um, uh, booklet. And the yeah. Um, yeah, now the bonus feature is called Ten Christmases, and it says in this exclusive new feature, Rufus Hound journeys through Christmas past to show many of the greatest moments and monsters. Also includes personal reflections from Peter Capaldi and Stephen Moffat, which you've probably already seen in all the Doctor Who extras. And if you want to see the greatest moments of monsters, well, they're already in the DVDs or Blu-rays that come in the box set. Yeah, you've yeah, seen. You've already seen. So, hmm. I must admit, I haven't got Last Christmas yet because I'm waiting to see where it's going to be included in the Series 9 box set. Yeah. It's what they usually tend to do, don't they? They usually sort of do the Christmas special, then this year's Doctor Who. So, yeah, I'm waiting for that before I buy it. Yeah, that it's it's not not a big enough selling point. It's not really no, just to get it on on Blu-ray because if because if they do I'm what, series unless they're going to mysteriously withdraw, you'd be able to buy Last Christmas as a single disc before they release this. Well, they didn't do that with the Doctor of the Wind and the Wardrobe. <laughs> no, no, they told yeah they get no with that one they told you the only way you're going to get that is if you go out and buy it, didn't they? <laughs> And then every release they brought out afterwards had, had the bonus copy of Doctor the Widow and the Wardrobe. In. <laughs> Do you know what? I might I might watch that again, and when it gets near to Christmas, and just to see if it, if it has improved, if age has improved it. I severely doubt it because it was crap. Anyway, <laughs> um, last up in um, Tech Corner uh, from Forbidden Planet International, they are bringing us. A Eighth Doctor 
Night of the Doctor action figure. Ooh, so obviously this is the Paul McGann uh, Doctor. It's a 5.5-inch figure. Um, it includes a sonic screwdriver accessory, the Khan Chalice accessory, and Cassie's bandolier accessory as well. Um, now, looking at the photographs, this is one of uh, character options' better efforts, isn't it? Yes. I must admit, I saw that and just thought, mm, yeah, actually, that's not too bad. I, I can, I could instantly tell who it was. Yes, you could say that was Paul. That. Yeah, it's not Joan Crawford or Peter Woods, is it? No, this no. this looks like Paul McGann. It's um, no, I think it's it's a rather rather well detailed little um, little figure. Yeah, to be honest, I really do. Um, now this the only, uh, only thing yeah, missing is, is a young John Hurt head to put on top. Yeah, that, that would have topped it off, wouldn't it? That would have topped it off nicely. But, um, mm, I th- again, I think they might have missed the trick there. Yeah. Yeah, but no. Um, now, this is going for the pre-order price of £14.99, which is a darn sight better than the 20 quid they're asking for the Missy figure. Yeah. To be honest, which looks nothing like Michelle Gomez. I know if I had £20 to spend on a figure... Yeah. I know which one I'd be buying. Yes, and you'd have £5 to spare, wouldn't you? I would. Yes. <laughs> um, now, this is due in uh, Forbidden Planet on Monday the 30th of November this year. So, again, just in time. It's that ideal Christmas gift, isn't it? It is. Yes. So, now, I, I'm, you know, I, I still haven't bought a, a Capaldi or Capaldi figure yet because um, the one the one they have released, it's either the, the Regeneration one, or they've done one with just the white shirt, and which he hasn't actually worn in the in the program. No, he's because he's got like the, the the waistcoat or cardigan underneath it or whatever. Um, so I'm waiting for a better one of that to come out. But I'm um, I'm tempted to get this one. I've got to be honest, just to put in my collection. Yeah, mm. it's it's yeah, it's it's about time, really. Well, to it be is, honest. isn't it? It's, I mean, that, I mean, that, I mean, that, I mean, they have got the years. Well, that, there is an eighth Doctor. Figure, but it's like the uh, the one from uh, the, the 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 TV movie. Is yeah. that, that version of him? So, as you say, two years it's taken to do this version. Yeah. So, I wonder if they'll do a big finished version as well when he's got the leather jacket on. Don't know. Hmm. Depends who owns the rights to that one, I suppose. Well, I suppose so, because he had that uh, nice sort of wooden-looking sonic screwdriver. Yeah. And that as well. So, I mean, if they went the whole hog just for a for a, a like, well, basically something that's done in audio. I quite like what they did with that, but anyway, there we are. So um, yeah, so that that's I think that's that's a rather good one. I think it's one a bit of tat I wouldn't mind owning. Yes, so it's two, two bits of tat that you'd you wouldn't mind owning, and one probably bit that you probably own in various other ways anyway. I own twice too many <laughs> already. <Yes. laughs> okay, everybody. Well, that's it for the news, and that is it for Tat Corner this week. So coming up next is our review of Before the Flood. So, for another week then, that was the news. Okay, everybody, it's time for us to take a look at uh, this week's episode of Doctor Who. And, of course, we're going to be talking about Before the Flood. I have to die. I can't change what's already happened. There are rules. There's nothing you can do. And it's your turn to kick off proceedings, Paul. What did you think? Where do I start? Oh, this sounds ominous. <laughs> um, I don't know this episode. Okay, okay. F- first thing I've got to kick off with is last week 
I was praising them for having a deaf character and not using the character being deaf to put the character into more peril yeah. than a normal person. Yeah. And that's what we got this week. It yes, they did. Um I can see, yes, it works as a dramatic piece, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know whether it's whether I really wanted it, to be honest. Well, I, I liked it from a, a... I mean, I liked it. It was, it was well shot. It was very suspenseful. I, I thought, yes. Even though it goes against what we said last week, it was very suspenseful. Yeah. Um, I like the, the fact that they, um, they kept cutting to the sound of the axe being dragged on the floor. And then um, to the silence. And then to the silence. So I, yeah. I, you could hear was just her breathing. Yeah. Sort of, you know, um, which I liked. And then she stopped and she felt that thing about feeling the vibrations on the floor, which... It, and it all went a bit daredevil, didn't it? Well, exactly. I thought a spidey sense kicked in. <laughs> right. That, yeah. That's that's what I, I, I felt about. And that, I think that's what ruined that scene. Yeah. I, it's just... I it's, like, it's, like, I, it's, I like, just... it's like saying being deaf it gives you a superpower. Yeah. Or well, it doesn't. You know, um, but I, I like the fact that obviously your, your, your senses are probably more. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm got absolutely no medical evidence to back this up, but I, I would imagine that you're, if you're deaf, your your awareness is heightened because that's what you're relying on. You know, it's it's not like a superpower. Or, or you have you have less distraction. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not a superpower. Know. You you compensate one with the other, don't you? So that's what the human body does. So. Um, yeah, but to turn into a spider set, or as you say, daredevil. Um, yeah, that 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 just ruined that scene for me. It's yeah, and it's just it just you know if you've got a a disabled character, then just let them be a normal character. Yeah, don't need. It's just the fact that then it became a thing in the episode. Yeah, which didn't want it to be. I want it. They'd done so well in the first episode of it just being. This was a character who happens to be deaf. Yes, that's indeed. That. Indeed, yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. anything else? Anything else you didn't like, Paul? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sleeves are rolled up. We mean business. Here we go. I come the opening. Okay. And I just, I, actually, I don't really know what to make of this because you sort of think if you've got to have the main character. Hmm talking direct to the audience for the first five minutes of the programme to try and explain what is going on, or at least to give them... Then you've probably gone too far almost with the story, I feel. Yeah. Um, having said that, I think Capaldi pulls it off pretty well. He, he... And it probably works because of him rather than as a concept generally. I can't imagine any of the other doctors really doing it. No, no, I, and, I, I and getting away with it. I do see what you without, mean without it really becoming a. Oh right, okay. Well, you can you, you can take it one way or the other, really, because you can take it as he was breaking the fourth wall, yeah, and talking directly to the audience, or you can take it that he explained this was his explanation to Clara once the episode had finished. So you were Clara. Basically, it was it was it was explaining the the, the, the bootstrap paradox. Well, this is this is this is you know, the thing. Actually, I started to think to myself, why did you need to do it as in talking direct to the audience? Mm. Why not have him sp- speaking to Clara? And then I thought to myself, 
then we'd be moaning about the fact that we had five minutes of the two characters trying to describe the story. Yeah, yeah. So I think it probably works better this way. On the basis you had to do it, mm. this probably was the best way to do it, and it was the least jarring in terms of get it in right at the beginning of the episode, get it out mm. of the way, and then let people let it sink in as it go, as the story unfolds. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 it did kind of work. I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of breaking the fourth wall, no. In anything, to be honest, um, and I know it's something that we well, have to go back to William Hartnell with, you know, and a Merry Christmas to, to all of you at home from yeah. the Feast of Stephen. Tom Baker's done it, you know, yeah. with you know with, with the Sonic Screwdriver comment. Um, so it's not as if it's something that has been done before, but certainly not to this extent where you get an entire scene. No breaking the fourth wall um uh, but, i mean but, and, 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 least... and having to explain the bootstrap paradox to the audience yeah which i must admit I mean, yeah. now i've watched this twice and I'm, I'm still sort of struggling to com- totally understand it but what i can see it's another name for a, is it a causal loop i think isn't that the, the other explanation or name for it yeah to a certain extent yeah so basically, as far as I understand it, the bootstrap paradox, it, it's saying pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, which you can't do. You can't pull yeah. yourself up um, using your, your own bootstraps. So why I way I took this is that the doctor had to send himself the message in order for him to go back yeah. to send himself the message. So it was, it was just looping round. There was no yeah. exit At, yeah. for At that, what, if you see what, what I mean. Point? At what point I could be totally did the wrong, idea... But... Did the idea of what to do mm. was that his future self told him what to do, but how did his future self know it? But for it his future self knew it because his future self had told him. Yeah, but he only but he could only know that if he travelled back in time. Yeah, so he had to go back in time to tell to set it all up for the future, to, or to or to set up that ghost doctor. Mm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, did he, did he change what had happened? I, I, that's one bit I can't quite figure out. Did he actually no, change I the future or, or is this always going to be? Well, the events, the future stayed the same, didn't it? Their future, as far as we were aware, their future yeah. stayed the same. Everything that had happened, nothing that happened in the past could be said to have been out of character with what their knowledge of, of the past was. Mm, yeah. No one was was alive that should have been dead, or dead that should have been alive. No, there was no. Actually, the one thing I was quite pleased about that there was no reset button. There, no. there was no. Everybody lives in this one. You know, people died and they stayed dead. Yeah. You know, which I thought, well, you know, fair, you know, fair play. Um, but anyway, I mean, going back to the bootstrap paradox. I, I mean, think, well, I think well, well, the, in- the only question you could say on that hmm. is why wasn't. O'Donnell already there haunting the base. That's what I was going to say as well. Um, yeah, why wasn't she already that's, there? That's the only one. The Doctor's one works now because it's only a hologram that was triggered by him being brought on. Being brought on board the, in the uh, the stasis thing, yeah. stasis cube, what you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that works in the fact that that only appears then. But yeah. O'Donnell should have been, was, was dead from... The whenever well, it was 1980. Yeah, so she should have been there. Yeah, she should have been there with Prentice to to greet them. Mm. I, I don't know unless because she was already there in the future, she had to go back for the ghost to appear. Otherwise, they would have both oh, been there at the no, same there's, time. There's, there's there's a time 
So she should have seen. She should have seen her own ghost. ghost, Basically, that ghost doesn't come forward in time. No, no, it doesn't. It it appears after she dies in the past. But suppose, but but suppose she died in the past. I know, but at that point in her own time stream, she hadn't actually gone back to the past yet, had she? Yeah, but I her think, ghost I think, would have been there. Oh no, but I think that's what ghost they were saying. Been there since 1980. Yeah, but I think that's what they were saying though. She hadn't actually gone back for that to happen yet. But I think you're right as well. Is that the ghost should have been there because she's she at that particular moment in time she had been back to 1980. So the ghost should. Oh, I don't know. That, that, well, that's like saying if they'd opened the stasis chamber before the doctor went back, mm. it would have been empty. Yeah. Plainly, it couldn't have been. No, precisely. So anyway, anyway, one thing we've avoided talking about so far, going back to the uh, the break in the fourth wall, is he picked up that guitar again. Yes. Now, this has gone down a, a storm with a lot of people. Um, and I think it's really great. And it and it bled into the uh, the the, uh, the theme tune as well. So you've got this yeah. like, rock version. Um, what What's your take on that, Paul, before I uh, say anything? I'm sort of OK with it this time. Mainly just because it's sort of, you are talking about music anyway. So it's not necessarily a then giant leap to, oh, suddenly he's got a guitar. He's on the TARDIS. He's in the TARDIS. Yes, Mm -hmm. you know, he spends a lot of time in the TARDIS. If If he likes to play his guitar, there's no reason why it wouldn't be laying around. If you're talking about a piece of music and you can play it, then there would be a temptation to... To pick up the guitar and play it, so I didn't think it was so shoehorned in as as in the, uh, uh, in the opening episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I got so I'm not a fan to be honest. Um, if this is gonna, it appears now this is going to be his thing, isn't it? He's gonna sort of pick up the guitar at, at random moments. Um, and they're saying, oh yeah, this is really great because you know he's sort of. He sort of settled into himself, and he's like, a, you know, he's like the, the like the like the old punk rocker mm. sort of thing. Um, all it makes me think of, it's like when you're there, when you're a teenager, you're there with your mates listening to music, and your dad comes in the room, as you call that music, this is music, son. He gets the spoons out and starts playing or something. He's like, an, to me now, it's become like an embarrassing dad. Oh, t- to be honest. Oh, that- this, oh, so so this is an ageist comment, is it? Yes, it is ageist. No, it if, is. If this had, if this had been. Matt Smith, it would have been fine. No, it wouldn't, because I don't want him to pick up the guitar for no no good reason, really, other than this would be a great idea. We'll have a rock version of the theme tune. That's it. That's the to me. That's the only purpose that bit served. It's yeah. I don't know. I I, I think because because the 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 whole thing had been about talking about music and writing music and who wrote this music. Yeah. It it did sort of follow. It wasn't just randomly. He was talking about his favourite cheeses and then decided just to play a bit of guitar. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> and 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 is this any different to the second Doctor playing the flute? No, the, this has been raised in other podcasts as well, and I, and I I don't quite agree with what everyone's saying because that that was his thing, and it was also with the fifth Doctor cricket. That was his thing. Um, but he regenerated with that thing. He was doing that from the off. Capaldi's doctor did not do that in the last series. And though that hadn't found the guitar. <laughs> but now they just suddenly decided this is gonna be his thing. And to me it just seems to be shoe hauled in, really. Um I don't know. I mean yeah. uh, this, this I, I, I know, uh, I'm I know I'm being think, such a curmudgeon, I should just go along with it. Tank yeah. incident of the of, of the 
first episode, mm. I don't think this would have bothered you. Probably not. Had this just been probably not the first and only incident so far, yeah, you 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 wouldn't have even brought it up. No, probably not. I'm just not. I'm just not. And then, and the bit at the end You're as well. Still burning with hate from that. First oh, I am. Um, I know I'm saying like a right curmudgeon. I really should just enjoy it and enjoy it for the the bit of fun they intended it to be. But um, no, I'm I'm being a curmudgeon. I've got my grumpy head on for this that particular bit. Um, yeah, and 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 at the end as well, when he said who wrote Beethoven's Fifth, and he turns around to the camera again, you get that on the guitar. That just put me in mind of you ever seen the. Um, the film Dragnet with um, Dan Aykroyd and uh, Tom Hanks. Um, I think I may have done, but I right, like there's to a bit. It. You know, there's a character. Once, which... once I realised it didn't have Alistair Sim in it, I lost the interest. <laughs> well, you know, there was. Um, I don't know if you, if, well, if you haven't seen it. There's a character in it called Connie Swales, and she's captured by this cult because she's a virgin, and then. Dan Aykroyd's character, Joe Friday, is so straight-laced, he keeps referring to her as the Virgin Connie Swales. All the way through it, she's called the Virgin Connie Swales. And right at the very end, because they, they form like a romantic tryst between the two of them, and then right at the end of the film, he, he just refers to her as Connie Swales. And Tom Hanks' character says, don't you mean the Virgin Connie Swales? And Dan Aykroyd just turns to the camera, raises one eyebrow, and you get, dun-dun-dun, like the dragnet music stuff. And that's yeah. what that reminded me of. It reminded me of Dan Aykroyd de- deflowering the Virgin Connie Swales. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so that's enough about. I think this. you're reading too much into the Doctor and Clara's conversation. <laughs> they call me the Axe Man. <laughs> oh dear, yeah. Um, anyway, anyway, um, move, moving. Sw- I think we, we're going to have to agree to disagree on, on that yeah. one, certainly. Um, yeah. But I think I mean Capaldi was excellent all the way through this. Um, I think the when he sort of that that bit where he sort of resigned himself to the fact that he has to die. And, actually, and, and the conversation... did I mention it or did we get okay, sidetracked sorry. on this? Well, I think we probably sorry, did. Actually, going yeah. back to the, the the bootstrap thing and all that. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, we talk about stuff having been done before. Yeah, isn't this uh, bits like the children in need? Time crash. Time thing. crash. Yes, it is. When the second doctor knows the sorry, the fifth doctor knows what to do because oh, the sorry, was it tenants doctor knows what to do because he'd seen the fifth doctor do it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, same sort of thing, isn't it? That is another yeah. causal loop, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, same sort of thing. So if we're, we're going to go back and start moaning about the fact that Moffat series does always seem to repeat itself or repeat different bits that he's used before. Yeah, then yeah. So I think that was him who wrote that, was it? It was Moffat. It was. Who wrote that, it was it? Moffat who wrote that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think this has got Moffat's hand um, in this story a lot more than more. I think a lot more than Toby. Um, oh Christ, forgotten his bloody name. Toby Whitehouse. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think his, his influence is there a bit more on this one. Is I suspect. It, I suspect ideas are thrown. At yeah. A, a writer, and he it's says, a, "It's oh, a very." We'd like- I was going like to say to do an episode that's got this as the theme, mm. and then they're allowed to go away and yeah, do their thing around it. it, it, it it's a very Moffat idea, mm. I think, to be honest, which makes me think his he's hands been on this this script. Um, what you, what you a mean? Lot more what you than mean? Trying, weeks, you know? trying very hard to be clever and very pleased with itself. <laughs> yes, I think so. Yeah, that that's a uh, yeah, all smug afterwards. 
yeah, yeah. You could be right. Um, and the, and the fact that you do then start sitting there thinking, I can't work out where he's gone wrong. The only thing, like, like other than O'Donnell, I, there's, it does sort of stand up, and it's it. Anyway, yeah. sorry, I'll let you get back. You well, don't no, know no. where you were now, do you? No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> um, so, is there anything else you dislike before we got onto the stuff we we did like? Um. No, actually. I think that was it. And I wanted to just get it out of the way, first of all. <laughs> well, because, I was, I was talking about... I, one of the things I've been banging on about last week, and yeah. then that was the, the opening bit. So, okay. there you go. Okay. Well, I, I, I think we were talking about Capaldi, weren't we? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I did like, again, love his performance. Um, and as you say, I think it was the whole break of the 4-4 thing, which I'm not a fan, but as you say, he did act it well. And you couldn't yeah. imagine anyone else doing it. I totally agree with that. Um I also thought that the scene between him and Clara on the phone was really well done as well. Um, though Clara didn't have a lot to do this week, did she? She had uh, that. She had that sort of that that scene with the doctor. Then she had that scene when she was telling Lun that she yeah. figured out that Lun wouldn't be, you know, killed by the ghosts and everything. Yeah. Yeah, but apart from that, she didn't have a great deal to do, did she? And we are sort of getting that she's a bit more seems to be a bit more sort of self-centered to it. Yes. In the sense that she's, she says, I and the nest of correct arts, it's a we and about safety, you know, mm. their chances of survival. Yeah. It's, you know, this is, this is my best chance or our best chance and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, and she was sort of trying again. I think this is leading up to something. She was trying to be the doctor again, wasn't she? Yeah. So, and okay, it sort of, it kind of worked this time anyway. It did, it did kind of work. Um, but yeah, I mean, oh, the, the the other thing, the other thing that um, sort of in this that you think to yourself, but why did he? Why did why did that happen? Sorry, just 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 while I've remembered it now, we're talking. All right, Sorry, yeah. I'm going to keep interrupting you now. Why things pop into my head? So <laughs> you should write down an order of what I want to say. Um, and that is, why does the hologram doctor mm-hmm. let the other ghosts out? Because it but it creates no reason to it. Other than to put them in peril. Peril, I know, I know. Um, and I've tried to think, and I only, can't only, only, an answer. And I don't know if you can. No, I can't because it, all it does is lure them back in again at the end. Yeah, yeah. I don't quite. There's understand. no reason why they need to do that. No, it doesn't serve any purpose whatsoever, other than to give you the scene with Cass being chased by the by ghost. Moran. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. the axe. And that's the only reason for letting them out. Then why would the doctor need to do that? Do you know what? I hadn't really thought about it until you mentioned it. And no, you're absolutely right. There is no real reason. It, it didn't serve any purpose other than, you know. To create peril in two places, i.e. Yeah. in the future and in the past, so they could go between the two. Yeah. Otherwise, it would have just been all set in 1980. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, shame, really. Yeah, I, I honestly didn't think about it, but um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Oh, that's another that's another cross against it. So, <laughs> sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll get them out. I mean, I'll just eventually, eventually, I'll find something that I like. <laughs> what about the um, well, obviously in 1980, um, and you've got the you know they're on this sort of like mock Russian town um, again. Nice idea, you know, setting it during you know the Cold War, but again, it didn't really serve any purpose. No. Yeah, there's yeah, there was yeah, it wasn't particularly other than it gave them a strong visual picture of the of nineteen eighty. 
Mm. so to speak. Uh, no, yeah, there's no reason, really. No reason at all, really. Um, but of course, we thought... somebody goes, oh, I can do some really good uh, Cold War propaganda posters. Yeah, good. that's it. Good, good, good. good. Do, that, good. do that. I think I might actually um, su- suggest that when they start filming next, um, um, sort of the next series, Series 10, that I could do really good bunny shadows. <laughs> and see so if they'll fit that into the episode somewhere. <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, um, yeah, so, so as I say, Jenna Cohen not given too much to do, but the scene she had with the doctor I thought was very, very well acted. Um, I, I, I did like that, and that whole thing about you know, when he said, I've, I've got to die, I said, No, you're not doing that to me, you can do that to the next person that comes along, yeah. And again, that was quite a, a, a you know, a sort of a um, again, what you go back to what you said a minute ago, that sort of self centered side to Clara, yeah, wasn't it? So, um yeah, but I, I did like it. It's very, it's, it's very, very well done. Um, the Fisher King, nice design. Do you think? I thought it was okay. Yeah, no, I think it worked. Yeah, it was. Um, it again, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't used a great deal. I think it, it was. It was fun. They managed to find like a seven foot seven actor to get you know, to get inside the costume. It's never going to be easy to move around in. Um, yeah, Peter Serafinovich doing the voice, which I thought worked well. But the one thing was I thought, well, they made a big thing about Corey Taylor. Was it Slipknot? Is it the lead singer from Slipknot? Yeah. Yeah, they made a big thing about him. He's doing the roar of the Fisher King. Um, again, you could have used anything for that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why they made such a big thing about him doing it. It didn't send any, anything out of the ordinary to any other, you know, creature no. of, you know, vocal effect, to be honest. No, yeah. I think it worked really well. And, and the fact that it worked well as a... a in the shadows and still then in in broad daylight daylight yeah I, I mean i did like the fact that they just sort of did keep it, it just look you could hear it was the voice and you could just hear it walking around you sort of quick glimpse behind yeah. behind. i mean and the whole thing was incredibly well uh, directed and shot uh, as, as was last week's but yeah i, I mean but the end though i mean the Fisher King, he didn't really do it, he just walked off and then got drowned. And that was it really. I don't yeah. know if that was meant to be he just resigned to his fate because the doctor tricked him. Just realised, yeah, he at that point he just wasn't gonna knew what as soon as that dam started to go, he knew he wasn't gonna get yeah. back to say there wasn't any way he was gonna get to safety. Yeah, that's it. So yeah, I mean maybe maybe that's what it was um he was sort of embracing death at the end. But um Yeah. Yeah. So I thought it was it was a nice Nice design. Um, other mention, obviously, with, with O'Donnell. I quite liked her reaction when she said to the doctor, I just got a, you know, got something in my shoe, and then she's jumping up and down, and going, "It's bigger on the inside. It's bigger on the inside." I, I sort of quite, I sort of quite like that. But the mentions of um, sort of callbacks to Harold Saxon, and, and, and but the Minister of War that 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 got yeah. a bit of a, a drew a look from the doctor. Um, do you reckon this is gonna another one of Moffat's just sort of throwaway things, or is this gonna? Mean something this series or possibly next series? It's yeah, as as we've learnt, there's there often isn't such a thing as a throwaway thing from Moffat. If he's put that in there, it's usually there for, and it was it's it, there, it's there for some future reference, and it may not be anything to do with this series. It more than likely with him, it's going to be next series. It's some, it's an idea he's already had for the future that he hasn't quite. Yeah, this, fleshed out yet, and yeah, this, it's going to be. But he just likes the, quite the idea of just throwing something in now, so you can, so that actually when it appears a year or so, two years down the line, mm. everyone goes, "God, he must have been planning that for years." 
It, it does sound sort of like a a, a series arc sort of yeah. thing, doesn't it? Minister yeah. of War. It doesn't sound like a, like a one-off episode thing. It does sound like no. it, it does sound like it's building up to something. But then again, you know, it, it could just be yanking our chain again. You don't know, do you? Really don't know, but um, the other thing. Yeah, that... the, the point is, yeah, he's got to such a stage now, whereas he can say anything, and people have spent hours analysing it. Oh <laughs> to, God, yes. When's that going to? What's that going to be? Yeah, uh, as we are doing right now. Yes, he's got everybody talking. There you are, um, yeah. uh, Prentice, as well. I thought very well done by um, Paul Kay, but underused. I felt. Um... No, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that, that wouldn't have got irritating. Well, that was the whole point of the character, wasn't it? Yeah, because as you but, say, we... but to, to have used him any more than that, you'd have had, <laughs> you'd have had to. We, I think we'd have been going. God, I just got fed up with Prentice. <laughs> well, I did like the fact that he he seemed he seemed to say some sort of um, sexual gratification from being sort of subjugated, yes. didn't he? <laughs> there was that. I've got certain things you can use if you need to subjugate. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. I did quite like that. I thought it was funny. Um, yeah, but I, I think there's a. If you now we put the two episodes together, um, do you feel it works? Because like the, this week's episode is completely different, a different beast to to under the lake. Yeah, to a certain extent. I, no, I think it does. I, th- I, th- I think there's pretty much a cause and effect that. That goes goes through this. It may go round quite a bit, but it goes through as well. Yeah. So no, I, I think it works. I think it's. I think they're they're, they're two actually good episodes. <laughs> having having spent most of most the podcast of it. talking about what I don't like about it, yeah, I actually I... enjoyed it. It's only actually sitting down afterwards, mm. as we as we now do to talk about to talk about it. Yeah. That you start to think to yourself. I'm not so sure about that. I do. I do think it's it's like I don't know whether it's. You start to think to yourself, "What is Doctor Who's target audience now?" Because mm. I'm certainly not sure my eight year old self would have enjoyed this. Because we just it just would have. Well, I, I think in I think our eight our eight year old selves were a lot more innocent than eight year olds of today. To be honest, I think that we were. Um, basically, just because of the kind of television we grew up on, really, yeah, and and and, and Doctor Who to us then was scary. It, it was event television. We couldn't wait for you know for next week, and, and I suppose now that it's happened with the, the same thing with kids today. But I think kids today are a little bit more switched on than the kids of you know from our generation. Yeah, perhaps, and the fact that it's going out at. It's finishing after nine o'clock at night. I suppose. I just that. Yeah, it's it's Doctor Who. I'm worried Doctor Who is in danger of losing. I mean, perhaps we are. Perhaps perhaps middle-aged men really are, or middle-aged people are Doctor Who's target audience now. We grew up with it. We're we're there more now than than children. I, well, I, th- I think I think this is the, the, I think you you hit upon a sort of like a, a bit of a, a sort of sort of dichotomy here because obviously we want to keep. The show on the air. We want it to be there. We don't want it to be cancelled yeah. again. We want it, you know, to continue forever and ever. Um, <clears throat> however, um, as you say, it's predominantly Doctor Who should be a kids show, but and then the next step up, it should be a family show. What yeah. it shouldn't be is a show for middle-aged men like us. Yeah, it should never be that. And I, I, with all this 
self-referencing that the show's been doing, particularly in this series, it's, it's, it, I think it runs into a danger of becoming that show for, for middle-aged men. Yeah. It, it, it know, stops becoming... Perhaps it, I mean, we then moan about... I suppose we then moan about this, the fact that TV's dumbing down all the time. And now we sort of moan that some, you're, trying to, you're throwing in a concept that makes you have to think... You're producing a programme that makes you have to think... Yeah. Right, so that goes there. How does that work? How does that work? Where does that go? Yeah. Um, and it's. I suppose we're, we we shouldn't be complaining about this. I no. hope that there are non-devotees that are enjoying this. I, I hope so. so. I hope so. I know people say, well, the viewing figures don't hold that view up. Um, well, I, I think that's bollocks, to be honest. I think I think it. I think it does. It, it just it. It's the same thing with any new doctor. It it it. It takes the first series, I think, for people I like him, I don't like him, and then yeah. you get that that flux of fans coming and going. But then you get this this new influx, sort of like I didn't like, you know, I like David, I didn't particularly like Matt Smith, but then they'll start watching Capaldi because it's a new Doctor. Yeah, you know, so fans will come and go. But I mean, I mean, if you take episodes like in the Forest of the Night, that was aimed at children. Yeah, and we didn't like it. It just, yeah, I suppose, you know, I don't know, yeah, it just gets, it seems to be a, it, it, such a varied positioning on it. It's I, almost I, like there are two different shows that just have the same characters. Well, I think that's what they've got to do because I think otherwise, mm. I mean, I mean, yeah. if, if you go back to like McCoy, yeah, 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 yeah. Know, I'm not, I'm not, you know. I'm not saying that I want all my Doctor Who now to be in the Forest of the Night because that's obviously. Oh no, but the, but then again, you, you don't you don't want it every week to be like this when you try no. to explain to an eight year old a bootstrap paradox. When I barely understand yeah. it myself, yeah, you know, um, you, you, as you say, there's that balance. But then again, it, it ends up going back to things like um, you know things like Ghostlight is is, and I've said this before on various other occasions, but things like Ghostlight is a massive, massively popular story amongst the old Doctor Who fans, and to them, it was like a return to. You know, a return to proper who after the years of clowning around, or yeah. still, or not years, but you know, age of stories of clowning around with with, uh, with Sylvester McCoy's Doctor, and finally they sort of, you know, he become a bit more mysterious, and you know, and you know, went to sort of at this the so called Cartmel Master Plan. But if you had things like Ghostlight every single week, that kind of story, people would stop watching, it and you would just be left with that yes. hardcore audience. Yeah. Yeah, and you yeah, don't want no, that. It's got, it's got, to, it's got to appeal to everybody. And I think that's what they're trying to do with Doctor Who now. They're trying to appeal to everybody, but I think you do run a risk. That I mean, I think it's like it seems to be a lot of people. And it does seem to be a lot of fans of our generation, particularly like this two-parter because it feels like classic Who. Yeah, but then again, you run that risk of you can't do that every week. No, I mean, and, and getting back to your question of, of does it did it work as a two parter? I yeah. think it did. I think I can't work out how this story would have gone if you'd have tried to have done it in forty five minutes. You couldn't have done it. You couldn't have done it. It wouldn't have worked. It, it, would it? It, 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 they, they, they were pushing it in terms of getting it in there. I mean, I you had to have even this. Then you had to have the Doctor give a five minute introduction bit to explain it a bit because otherwise mm. they you wouldn't have had time to have worked it out by the end yeah yeah it's... it needs to be four parts <laughs> <laughs> well that really is return to classic oh crikey um yeah i mean and in which case you could have you could have actually had the doctor go off to yeah it, actually in the, in the in the old series rather than having 
the the doctor having to explain it to the audience. Mm. You'd have had him at some point during a dull period of episode two going off to meet Beethoven and acting yeah. it out with Beethoven. Yeah. Or Beethoven's family. Yeah. And acting out writing out the, the stuff, probably. Yeah, that might have um Yeah, just as sort of, again I, I could very easily see Pertwee doing that. Turning up Pertwee? Minute. Pertwee? In the classic series, you mean? See yeah. him doing that? Mm, I don't know. I, I could see um, Colin Baker's one doing it. Yeah. And of course, I, and, and you had... Because he'd be that arrogant to go back and do it. Yeah. And, and you had Tom Baker, obviously, uh, in City of Death, go back to... Oh, yeah. Well, I'd, I'd, well actually, if you're going to sort of like do things in popular culture, I could, I could quite easily see like Tom Baker going back to do something with the Marx Brothers or something like that. If you see what I mean, well, you've had you've had like Matt Smith's doctor with Lauren Hardy, yeah, for crying out loud. So yeah, it's it has been done, hasn't it? Before, so let's be honest. But yeah, per, yeah, I can see Pertwee's doctor. I can see Colin Baker's doctor yeah. doing. Yeah, it. Colin Baker's. Yeah, yeah, would would, would, would yeah would, would be doing well. Like, of course, it had to be me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's just, but per, Pertwee, I could have just seen just doing it, and it had just been a case. Oh, I have to do it myself. Yes. <laughs> 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 sort of. No, no, I, I can it's see. Aspirated that he so, that he has to do has it. To do it, but no. I, I, yeah, Colin, Colin Baker. Baker would have would have been. Yeah, Colin Baker's doctor. Yeah, would just definitely have been. Oh, oh, of course. Well, it had to have been me. It's so, too perfect to have been anybody else. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I've watched this episode twice, and I know we've sort of picked up quite a few things we 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 dislikes, but I mean, I did enjoy. It. I just felt after after last week's one. I just felt slightly underwhelmed with the resolution somewhat. I don't know why. I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, I, I didn't dislike it. I just felt a little bit, oh, was that it? Oh, okay. You know. No, no, to be honest, it, it probably wasn't quite the, well, I don't know what it was. Because you, sort, you sort of guessed that it was going to be the Doctor in the life support. Yeah. That seemed to make sense. You just, what, there was other bits... And I think once you'd done that, it was sort of okay. It became a bit like that. It didn't. For what? I don't know where I'm going with this now. Mm. Because you had the bit explaining it right at the beginning, you sort of then watched the whole rest of the program, knowing what was happening or what was going to happen. Mm. Um, so it sort of then became a bit of a slightly an anticlimax because it's like some they've just told you what the ending is. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's how, uh, that's how, that's all kind it of took how all I feel the, about it. It took all the tension out of it. Yeah, I think. I, th- I think so. I think so. So, so we we we're sort of saying we liked it, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, I liked it as yeah. an overall story. I just, I just yeah. don't, and I don't know how they could have done it differently. You know, it, it, that, that's the thing. It's the you know sometimes you criticise a program and you think, well, if they hadn't done this or if they'd done that, mm. it, I, I would have thought it would have been better because obviously I know better. Yes. Um, well, you. Eight, the this, sixth Doctor. <laughs> um, I think you'll find out why I went back and wrote this. No. Uh, it's this. This I'm watching it, and I just think to myself. I think any way they'd have tried to approach this, mm. I would have had a slight problem with. And I think this probably is the best way they could have done it. And I enjoyed it, and I actually enjoyed it watching it the second time. Hmm. Because I was just watching it then, and I wasn't trying to work out, and I wasn't trying to, whatever. Yeah. Um, bits I like, yeah, was the fact that when the um, doctor and 
uh, Bennett come back, mm. get back in time, and they're standing by the bins and whatever. Yeah. And he has to stop him from rushing over to save O'Donnell, basically. Yeah. And she hears it and looks round. When you watch it the second time, you actually notice that she does the ground. Yes, that's right. In real yeah. time. Yeah. You know, which I did pick up. And I was thinking to myself, I don't remember her looking round. It's one of those little things you have to sort of, you don't yeah. realise on first viewing, is it? Yeah, yeah. you just think, did she look round in the, in the original bit? And I thought, I don't remember her looking round. And then when you watch it back again, you go, oh, yeah, she did. Yeah, yeah she, she did. did. Yeah, yeah. 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 There, was, there, there was some right. good stuff. There is a lot to like in this, but there, obviously yeah. we, we did seem to zone in on the things we didn't as well. Yeah, so. there, 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 was just, there was just a few. There, there was this, this story meant they had to have a big thing at the beginning and it's it's just whether you can run with that i actually liked it i mean i i, I did like it it's yeah. not something that um i disliked it was just the case of oh that's an that's a interesting thing to try and get away with mm. yeah yeah and and I, I suppose that's what we want really we want doctor who to be sort of making us think and this episode definitely it certainly did that didn't it did that. <laughs> it yeah. certainly did that Okay, well, that's our thoughts on this, but what about our listeners? We've got some feedback again, and uh, so I'll kick off with the February we've got through our Facebook um, page and our Facebook group. Um, so, Jeff Waddell says, absolutely tremendous first episode. Second episode, I don't have a clue what the hell happened. Uh, is Ian Thomas McLean says, probably one of the best of the series, and I didn't expect it to explain the theory of the episode. Uh, Martin Havel from the Bad Wolf podcast, that's the Bad Wolf podcast, says it's a solid two-parter. If the announced spin-off had been about the supporting cast in this, I would have been overjoyed. Uh, he also goes on to say, everyone else find Bennett very Rory-like? A similar accent, similar look. You could put Series 5 Rory in this and not change much. Bennett's speech to the Doctor was very reminiscent of Rory's in Vampires of Venice, or Vampires in Venice, I should say. Um... Yeah, I kind of agree with that, actually. Yeah. Again, written by Toby Whithouse. So, yeah, there, 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 there probably would be a bit of similarities there. there, there but... Yeah, very much a moralising over him deciding... Yeah, who lives, who dies. dies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Becky Barnum, uh, written to us again. She says, I enjoyed watching it very much. It's one of those episodes that I need to watch a few more times to digest. After two viewings, I'm still a little confused. Uh, well, you and me both, Becky. So... <laughs> I think it's actually an episode that will get better as you watch it more because you're just you're you're it starts you you'll have accepted the premise behind the story. Yes, I think and so. And then you'll just watch it as a bit of science fiction, and yeah. I think you'll enjoy it more. I think so. I think you're right. Um, ben Rush uh, writes us and says a much more sedate end to the story than expected. Still very good though, but I have a feeling younger fans will not approve. Uh, not enough bang for them. Uh, love the opening and ending uh, fits together as to why uh, to explain the twist. Okay, and that just goes on what we said as well. Yeah. It's all about the younger fans maybe not sort of connecting to this one. And then we have uh, the Theta Sigma's Doctor Who podcast. Right, I loved it. Uh, the Doctor breaking the fourth wall in the opening scene was fantastic. Uh, while it gave the resolution to the whole plot uh, really early, it didn't detract from the rest of the episode. Uh, Capaldi was once again at his best, and the Fisher King was awesome. This, yes, this was a little more pedestrian than last week, but it needs to be to allow the viewer to take in everything that they needed to. At least an 8 out of 10 from me. I won't say any more, or I'll spoil our review on Monday's episode of Theta Sigma's Doc 2 podcast. It's even got a plug in there as well. Yeah. Yes. Um, we also got some email feedback from Michael at the Teen Dog podcast, and basically his feedback, which is a link 
to his review on his podcast. And as I wrote to you, Michael, that's utterly shameless, mate. <laughs> utterly, but, but worked. But worked. It did work. <laughs> you got a plug on the podcast. There you go. Um, anyway, now, a final bit of feedback we received from um, our sort of long-term supporter, uh, Ben Reid. Um, he says, hey, Phil, here's a bit of feedback for you and Paul. Uh, going back a week, I loved Under the Lake. This story really resonated with me. Even the use of the sonic sunglasses couldn't diminish my enjoyment of this episode. Flash forward to before the flood. I watched this one via DVR on Sunday morning as the Chicago Cubs baseball team were on uh, last night. We so rarely make the playoffs, so there was no question as to what our Saturday night viewing would be. Um, back to the episode, though. While I liked it well enough, it wasn't as good as the first part. I can't really critique it too harshly, though. What I will say, though, is that in Before the Flood, the Sonic sunglasses crossed the line for me. Plugging them in using the ear stem, that's a bit much for me. Place them on people to erase short-term memories, now we've crossed over to Magic Wandland. I kind of agree with that, to be honest. We, we, yeah, didn't, we, we didn't mention that, did we? We, we, but... we didn't touch on it now, and yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I, I couldn't find anything else to complain about. <laughs> no, exactly. So. Yeah, no, that, that that was getting back to, yes, they are everything that we don't like about the Sonic, Sonic screwdriver, screwdriver. They're now putting into the Sonic screwdriver, uh, Sonic yeah. sunglasses. Anyway, yes. uh, Ben continues. Uh, they've done now what the chief complaint against the screwdriver was. They've created another Omni-Tool. Yeah. I'm not saying the use in this episode didn't make some sense. Erasing the memory of the words was key to ensuring the safety of the remaining crew. Having said that, I'd love for the writers to make some effort to move away from using the Sonics to fix everything. I'd also love a simpler screwdriver a la the fourth Doctor. I, again, I, agree, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, moving on, I finished reading the Target novelisation of Marco Polo. I bought this back in the 80s on one of our many forays into London while we lived in West Germany. I'm sure I read it back then, but as uh, that was 30 years ago, I've long since forgotten the story. So it's like new to me. I quite liked it. It's the shame that the episodes no longer exist, so as far as we know anyway. Um, I now moved back to reading Festival of Death, a fourth Doctor story. I picked it up while, a while back and got on about halfway through it when I decided to read Marco Polo. Um, beyond that, there's not much else to report. I like a good little, little insight into um, Ben's Doctor Who habits here. Um, I look forward to next week's episode featuring Maisie Williams. I'm a big Game of, uh, of Thrones fan. And, of course, your podcast. And he finishes with, a congrats on cracking the iTunes charts. Uh, take care, guys. Ben. Well, thank you very, very much, everybody, for your for your feedback. And, um, yes, we didn't mention the iTunes chart, did we? Well, I've, I've tweeted and put stuff on Facebook. Yes, we've after nearly five years of podcasting, we finally cracked the iTunes chart in the UK. Yes. Yes. At last. <laughs> How long? How long? Well, do you know what? I, I, I don't even know what made me look. I just thought, I'll just have a quick look. Just see if we've done it. And we, we did. Damn it. We're, are we, we actually peaked at number 58. Uh. We, we moved up. We moved up from, that, from was it 84 up to 58. Right. And, and um, yeah, I think we're back down to 95. So we're still in there. Right. We're still in there. But, uh, we, couldn't, we couldn't break the top 40 then. We couldn't do the top 40. Damn. Never mind. Never mind. But it, it was just nice to see our, our, our little show in, in the Not going to get an appearance on top of the pods. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So anyway, um, so yes, thanks everybody for your feedback. It's very, very much appreciated. And um, please, we'd like to have your feedback um, for next week's story, uh, which is The Girl Who Died. 
So please leave your feedback on our Facebook group or you can DM us on uh, on our Twitter account. Or again, you can even email us at whosiepodcast at yahoo.co.uk. So there we go. Um, I think that just about wraps it up, doesn't it, Paul? I think it does. I think it does, yes. I can't think I've ever been so critical of an episode that I liked. <laughs> I know, it's a, it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> it is weird, but... Um, yeah, I think this might well, this it might be a, a, one of our longest reviews so far this series. Yeah, actually, we have we've talked a long time about this one, which means it's going to be a bugger for me to edit. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's another five things I've just <laughs> <laughs> shut up. <laughs> anyway, everybody, so I think that just about wraps it up for this week. Then, so um, until next week, when we're back with our review of the girl who died, it is goodbye from me, Phil, and goodbye from me, Paul. Goodbye. To the Who's He podcast, please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast, and please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance.